0: I'm gonna use the table. I'm gonna use the table. I'm gonna see how it goes. All right, I normally use a podium, but we'll use a table. All right. <laughs> well, thanks. It's, it's so good to be here. Uh, things are going great in Texas, and, and they're going great uh, because the Lord Jesus Christ is with us. But um, the Lord has also blessed us with you guys. Uh, This uh, the church in Texas wouldn't wouldn't be where it is without the the prayer support the financial support uh, just the love the care that you guys have have provided Uh, just love seeing uh, so many people come out for each of our previous services we've been doing monthly services since April. And uh, we're going to do one more in August and then on August 5th. And then September 9th is going to be our launch day where we go into our weekly gatherings. Uh, and God has continued to add to our numbers and been faithful in that. And people continue to come and say, Yes to the mission that we're on and what we're trying to do uh, and just bringing uh, God's word and God's promise and his hopes to uh, lost and broken people there. But uh, I just want to thank you for the generosity. Your time, your talents, and your treasures are so important to uh, the mission of God. And the ways in which you guys have supported this uh, have just uh, blown my mind. Uh, and, And one of the ways that you guys do that is you allow your pastor to come. And, and be a part of what's going on. And that's a huge sacrifice. Um, and, and to let him come and uh, to give of, of the, even the resources to allow that to happen. Uh, but it's, it's such an integral part of, of um, what we're trying to do as a family of churches. As to be intimately connected. Uh, and so Pastor Mark's presence is, is so important to what we're doing out there to keep our churches uh, unified uh, on, on mission so that we not only uh, plant this church, but look forward to the days where we plant the next one and the next one and the next one. So uh, keep praying, appreciate that. But uh, it's such an honor and it's a privilege always to, uh, to be able to preach anywhere. Uh, but man, it is a, a great honor and privilege to be able to preach here today, um, and especially uh, with my my kids here and they're present. Going to have to change some of my illustrations though. So, uh, yeah. But their they, they, their presence here with us is just is so um, so important for us as a family to be able to share with them the important the importance of church family. So, uh, thank you for allowing them to be here as well. What well, we've been preaching. Through, or you guys have been preaching through Esther uh, thus far. And so we're just going to continue on today in Esther 5. And uh, Pastor Dave and Pastor Mark have done a a fabulous job of just uh, pulling some deep truths out of the text. And if you remember last week, Pastor Mark was in chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we see Mordecai kind of coming to to grips and, and crying out for help because. You know, he was a bonehead and his pride kind of led him to, you know, as Pastor Mark said, be a punk, you know, and and Haman is is kind of upset with him about that. And so Haman gets the king to uh, issue a decree to kill all of the Jews. And so, of course, Mordecai's like, oh man, like, you know, we need some help. So he goes to the queen, right? His adopted daughter, like, he goes to her and asks her to help. But, but, if you remember, Queen Esther is no fool because she knows the law of the land that says if you approach the king without being summoned uh, and he doesn't extend his scepter to you, then you will be killed. And so she's like, Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. Like, I didn't get the, us into this mess. Like, you got to deal with that, not me. Right? And uh, in this moment, though, but Mordecai. Uh, reminds her graciously that, that she is a Jew and that the hand of, of wrath or the, the wrath of the king w- would also come to her at some point once the king found out that she was also Jewish. That the decrees were, were you know, set in stone in such a way that she was going to suffer the same wrath. So he graciously reminds her of that. And then for me, the pace of the story slows down. It's like one of those great moments in a movie You know, where it's just like everything kind of like stops for a moment, and you know something big is about to happen. And for me, the words of Mordecai to, to Queen Esther just slow the story when he says, Who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this? And Esther's response, like a flick of the switch, transforms her crown of comfort to a crown of calling from a crown of comfort to a crown of calling. And then like a general preparing for battle, she, just, she tells Mordecai, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus, I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, And if I perish, I perish. See, based on Esther's words, we can surmise that that what she wasn't asking them to fast and pray for was a clarity of what she was supposed to do. Sometimes we go to the Lord and we're like, I I don't know. I don't know what I should do here, Lord. And, And sometimes we need that. We need to ask the Lord for clarity. This was not one of those moments. She knew. She understood. As Mordecai spoke to her, it's almost as though she heard the Lord speaking to her that she understood that that crown was for such a time as this. What she was asking for was unwavering faith to do what she knew she needed to do. You see, when we fast and pray in in a spirit of dependence, we're we're, we're not going to the Lord and asking Him to change His mind. We're going to the Lord and we're asking Him to change ours. We're asking Him to give us strength to do what He's asked us to do. And I don't know about you. I don't always want to do what the Lord has asked me to do, right? Like anybody want to like admit that? Yeah. No. Okay. I'm alone. No. Just kidding. All right. (laughs) But you know, it's become evident to me that in the in in the big things of life and the small things of life, uh, we whether you know it's uh, you know buying a car, getting a job, who to marry, a job to take, whatever it is in life. It comes down to two motivations. We are motivated in one of two ways in all moments of life. And we're either motivated by the fear of man or the fear of God. We're either motivated by the fear of man or the fear of God. Now, I understand that these terminologies, like especially like the fear of God, sometimes uh, is a little hard to understand. Let me just break it down for you that the fear of God is essentially a a reverential wonder and awe of God that compels us towards faith, obedience, and worship. Fear of man is a self-serving, self-subjugating pursuit of value and worth and the approval of others. And here in chapter 5, what we're going to be seeing, what we're going to look at today is this contrast between two lives with two different motivations. In verses 1 through 8, we see Esther is motivated by a sacrificial fear of the Lord, and it's evidenced in three ways. By faith, confidence, and humble patience. Then in verses 9-14, through we'll see that Haman is motivated by a self-serving fear of man. And it's evidenced in three ways as well. In his anger, his pride, and his self-righteousness. So read with me beginning in verse 1, where we begin to see Esther's fear of the Lord. And her faith because of that fear of the Lord. Verse 1, now it came about on the third day. That Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner courts of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. When the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Man, now we can, we can certainly let out a sigh of relief, right? Like we just understood, like in the previous chapter, like if, if he doesn't extend that scepter, if he doesn't like invite her forward, like she's dead. So, so we, can, we can let out the sigh of relief, but more importantly, we should recognize that the extension of the king's scepter is really a sign of faithfulness. Not by Esther, not by the king, but by the Lord. But by the Lord. You see, like she's she is, is such an integral you know, part of God's story at this point. Right? We know that God's name isn't necessarily mentioned in the in the book of Esther clearly. But we as you've seen in four chapters thus far, we see God's hand upon you know the, the movement of the of this story. And what what's happening here is, is in the lineage of a long story a long story that is about God's redemptive move to restore and reconcile people back to him. And so what's happening here, what's what's potentially going to happen if Esther is killed is that their people will be extinct. But if the people are extinct, how can God fulfill his plan through the lineage of Abraham? It wasn't Esther's faithfulness. It wasn't the king's. It, It was the Lord's faithfulness. To continue to fulfill his plan. You see, Esther's faithfulness and our faithfulness is is grounded in God's faithfulness. If we are going to walk out the things that God has called us to do, then we've got to lean into him. We look to him as the model and the source of our faith. And here in this moment, what we see is the mercy and grace of God being extended to Esther, to his people, to us. Remember that in Proverbs 21.1, it says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth withsoever he will. What the world saw was an earthly king, but after three days of fasting and praying, Esther approaches the, th- the throne with a, with a knowledge of the king of kings who sat on that throne. The world saw an earthly king, but she saw a heavenly king. And on the third day, before she approached the throne, Esther clothed herself with a royal robe, it says. Robes that were given to her by the earthly hand of a king, but by the sovereign hand of God. Robes that were that were for such a time is this. And as, as, we, as she put on these robes and stands in the inner courts, Esther hasn't dressed up for the king that's before her. No, by faith, she's clothing herself, as it says in Isaiah 61, with the garments of salvation, with a robe of righteousness. She's putting on something that that grants her favor to stand before not an earthly king, but the king of kings. Robes that not only granted her favor, but robes that also elicit a confidence to approach the throne. You see, when, when when we have a reverent fear of the Lord, we recognize His gracious favor because we know that we deserve His wrath. When we have a reverent fear of the Lord, we recognize his gracious favor towards us because we understand his wrath. Remember that according to Ephesians, Ephesians 2:3, we are by nature children of wrath. We deserve the wrath of God. We have all gone astray. We've all rebelled against the Lord. And Paul reminds us in verse 12 through 13 we, we, that, that we were at that time separated, separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Not by anything you've done, but by the blood of Christ. And then we read in Hebrews 4, 14-16, Therefore, since we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What Esther needed was help. She needed help in a time of need. And she puts on these robes and she approaches the throne with absolute confidence. Because she's approaching the Lord. She's approaching King Asuheras as though she's approaching God. It had nothing to do with her position as queen. She confidently approaches the throne because of her confidence in the Lord. You see, when we think we've done enough to deserve entrance into the throne room of God, we have gravely misunderstood the nature of our unholiness in relation to His holiness. When we think we deserve the right to enter the presence, the holy presence of God, I've earned it, I've done enough things, I'm good enough, I've been to church enough, I've served enough people, I've given enough money, when I think I've done enough to enter the holy presence of God, I have gravely misunderstood His holiness in relation to my unholiness, His wrath and His grace that allows me to be in His presence because He has clothed me with His robes. It's the only reason I can be there. It's the only reason you can be there. That's the only reason that Esther can approach the king because of God's grace. And when our faith is grounded in what Christ has done for us, then we can then we can trust in what he is doing through us. When we are grounded in what Christ has done for us on the cross, we can trust in what Christ is trying to do through us. And when we trust that, we can wait on him and we can have that that humble patience to allow things to play out as God has ordered in his appointed time, not mine. Remember that, that... A lot of time has passed since Genesis 3 (laughs) and the fall of man. Remember that Jesus came and lived on the earth for 30 years before he began his ministry. God's understanding of time and the way that he he plays things out is vastly different than ours. There are things that God has done before our existence, and there will be things, if Jesus doesn't return, that will happen beyond our existence. And in all of that, we have to trust God. And in all of that, we have to trust that God has placed us here in this place and and placed us in other places. He has has placed my family in Heath, Texas for such a time as this. He's put you guys here in in California in this church and in the communities that surround it for such a time as this. In the redemptive plan of history, he has placed you here by his sovereign hand. He may move you by his sovereign hand. He's going to move some of you to Heath, Texas by his sovereign hand. They've already committed, Mark. It's okay. So, But we have to patiently wait for even that to play out. And it's hard. Man, you can't get there fast enough for us. Right? But we have to wait. So Esther, is is she approaches the king, and she has some plans. or God has given her some some discernment and some wisdom about some things. But we can see through what we're about to read that she is patient to let things play out. So continue to read with me in verse 3. And the king said to her, what is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to the half of the kingdom, it shall be given to you. Esther says, if it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly that, that we may do as Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther, which Esther had prepared. As they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? For it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of the kingdom it shall be done to you. So Esther replied, My petition and my request is... If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I have prepared for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. Tomorrow. Right? Like, apparently the chef was pretty good at the first banquet, so she's like, I think we should do this again. Let's have another meal before I tell them the plan, right? Right? Like, she's, she's waiting for tomorrow, and I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm picturing like Moses before Pharaoh, like, let my people go! Rescue my people, let them go! I'm thinking like, she's coming with a, a cry right in that moment, like, what do you need to wait on? Why are we delaying on this? You need to tell the king, like, what is going on? So that he can make a decision. But Esther knew something that, that isn't even clear in this story necessarily. Now, I think that there's some clarity as the, as the story plays out, but you're going to have to come back in a couple of weeks to hear Pastor Dave preach on that. So I will not want to spoil that. But she waits. She has a patience. She's not hasty. She's not in a hurry. She wants to be with the king. She wants to tell the king something, but something, you know, something else needs to happen. She invites Haman, her enemy, the one who brought forth the decree that was going to kill her people, to be near. And as we see the story again play out, you'll see like how God uses that for his plans and his purposes. And Esther wasn't trying to run ahead of God. She was trying to follow the Lord. And I can only imagine that in that time that she was fasting and then praying that the Lord was giving her the strength to do what she needed to do, which included a patience to wait on what he wanted to do. At times, we just need to wait on the Lord. We need to wait on the Lord. One of my favorite songs that any, that's out there right now, I forget what it's called. It's like, it says, you know, God is in the waiting. He's in the waiting. He's in your waiting. He's in that moment of being patient. Don't forget that because his time is precise and it's perfect. So what does it look like to have a reverential fear of the Lord? It means that we have faith. right? It means that we we approach him with a confidence because we know what Christ has done for us. And it means that in absolute humility that we wait on him to do what he wants to do. We don't run ahead of God. Now, conversely, and where we all might, not might, we all do, struggle. Conversely, let's look at verses 9 through 14, where we see Haman living out a life that is enveloped by the fear of man. Let's look at verse 9, where we see this begin to play out, this fruit play out in his anger. It says in verse 9, Then Haman went out that day glad and pleased of heart. Remember, he's just been in... It, you, know, uh, you know, invited to this this party, this banquet, not only the first one, but even the second one, like, Haman's thinking, like, my life is good, like, I'm, I, I've, got it, I've got it going on, you know. Uh, he's pretty hot stuff, you know. He's, he's thinking, like, nothing can, can stop me now. And before you, th- you know, think that that's great, let, let's go, go on and continue. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand up, or trembled before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Now think about this. Haman had already won the favor of the king who had decreed that all the Jews would be killed, including Mordecai. I don't know about you, but like that should be a, a, a scene where we see Haman walking by and, and Mordecai continues to sort of act like a punk and Haman's just like... You got it coming to you, right? Like, I'm, I'm hanging with the queen and the king. Like, you're about to die, and whatever timing that plays out, I don't care. It's coming to you. Like, that's how Haman should, should feel in this story. We shouldn't support that kind of behavior, but that's how Haman should feel. It, it wasn't enough for him. It wasn't enough for Haman. He wanted Mordecai specifically for whatever reason. Not for what, well, because he wanted all people to recognize what, you know, his position was. He wanted all people to, to give him honor and praise. And so to see this guy continue to, to, you know, be rebellious towards that, just grated on his nerves. And if you ever been, like, elevated to a position or, or done a lot of things in your life that you're, like, you've wanted somebody to recognize you. Maybe it's even been serving in the church. Right? Like, we want somebody to say thank you. We want the praise. We want people to to pat us on the back at times. You know? I want somebody to to know that I wrote that big check. So I'm going to put it in the bag in such a way that the next person might see it. Right? Oh, oh, I didn't push it down far enough. Right? Right? and we, we want our boss to, to tell us, hey, good job, uh, you know? We want, I, as a husband, I want my wife to tell me, like, I'm being a good father. I'm being a good husband. Seriously. I want that at times. Or a lot, all the time, right? Like, we, we want that at times. But, but, and when it doesn't happen, when it doesn't come to us, we get angry, we get angry inside, and in, in this, you know, this, this fire begins to burn in us. And what's the typical human response when we get angry? Well, like Haman, our, our pride takes over in an attempt to then validate our self-worth. Verse 10, Haman controlled himself. Oh, good Haman. Let's praise Haman real quick, right? No, let's, let's be real quick here and, and, and be clear. Haman didn't want to act out of that because he didn't want people to dislike him. So like, let's just make a little aside there. Let's not praise Haman. Haman controlled himself, however, and went to his house and sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh. Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches and the number of his sons and every instance where the king had magnified him. And, and instances where the king uh, or, or how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman also said, even Esther, the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which she has prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her with the king. Oh, Haman, you're amazing. Oh, wow. Yet all of this does not satisfy me. Every time I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate, man, Haman's desire for approval and praise of others was insatiable. There would never be enough. Never be enough. He would always want more because pride tells us we're deserving, it tells us that we're deserving. So then when we don't get what we think we deserve, most likely, the often, and very often, the common response is that we become judge and jury and become self-righteous. We go from anger to pride to thinking that I get to determine what is good and right for this situation. I was hanging out with one of my uh, my, my children uh, before we came on this trip and uh, I'll just say that at times, often um, because they're young, still learning and I'm still learning that they're still learning um, they, their behavior isn't always exactly how we want it to be right? and, and so there was some explosions happening and, and I, man, I entered the room And, you know, and I sat down, and I waited for, like, I mean, I'm talking, like, five minutes, thinking, like, they would get calm. And I was like, oh, I'm doing such a good job. I just literally, I'm doing such a good job waiting. I'm being patient. I'm I'm following the plan. Be calm. Maybe they'll calm down. Yeah, I wasn't having any of that. Like, wasn't happening. And time was ticking. Like time, I think I think it was yeah. We were like needing to get some get somewhere and, and do some things. And was like time was taken, Like, all right, I've given this plan long enough, right? And so I start to get angry. I started to get angry inside because it wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. And then my pride started to kick in. I'm like, man, they need to listen to me. I am their father. I deserve that kind of respect. And then self-righteousness began to come towards me a- into my heart, and I was like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta leave the room. Because I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna teach them a lesson that they're never gonna forget. They're gonna remember who I am. And you know, I'm like, Heyman, like, you know, like, do you know who I am? Do you do you know what? because I'm about to tell you who I am. And I was like, I gotta go. And I think Renee even like popped into the room at that point. She's like, I think we should trade. Like I you know, so, uh, good parenting lesson. Sometimes you've got to do the trade so that things don't happen. But, but, right, like there, but when things don't happen our way, we get angry, and then we get prideful, and then we get self-righteous. And in that moment, I, I wasn't trusting the Lord. I wasn't trusting that God's grace that had come and covered my life was good enough for the situation to extend to my son. And it wasn't trusting that, that that grace would have been sufficient for the moment to, to, to cover his, even his, you know, poor behavior. To love him and to help him realize where he, he had up. but that, that his daddy loved him nonetheless. And at times, like, we just don't want to trust God's plan because the clock is ticking. I got to be somewhere. I got to do something. This has to happen on my time. We don't want to be like Esther and patiently wait. No. So we get angry and prideful and self righteous. And what a, what an, uh, just a profound contrast in this story as we see the sovereign hand of God's uh, redemptive plan being played out in this hinge moment, this hinge moment in the story in in four and five, where Esther realizes her, her calling. And she begins to, to enact that, and, the, and we see the plan being played out. What a powerful contrast, and what a powerful uh, truth for us to, to try to take in and understand. And as the story continues, the, you'll see is that ultimately, pride, or anger, and pride, and self righteousness, the fear of man, ultimately results in self destruction. Right as, as Mordecai goes and, and at the end of this passage asks for this massive gallow to be created to kill. Or as, as Haman asks for the massive gallow to be cre- created to, to kill Mordecai. It eventually results in his own death. But what we see in the grace in the, uh, of God and what we see as, as a person who fears the Lord, who humbly comes, patiently waits is that God is is able to enact his plans. The fear of the Lord is a beautiful thing when we truly understand what it is. It's not this terror that we have. It's this reverence that we have for him to walk by faith and trust him in every way. Esther was encountering what seemed to be a hopeless situation And yet she came calm and collected. She seems to be filled with this faith and confidence and patience. And on the other hand, we see Haman, whose circumstances seem to be pretty good. I mean, in worldly standards, pretty good. But he's developed by his anger and his pride and his self-righteousness. Esther's life was motivated by a faith and trust in God, and Haman's was motivated by the approval of man. What's motivating your life? What is motivating your life? Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. We sing that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that every hour, every minute, every second, you need God? You desperately need him because your heart is inclined to fear man, to seek the approval of others to get angry and prideful and self-righteous and we need to we need to be going to the Lord with absolute desperation and saying God give me faith give me confidence in you help me be patient to wait on you what is motivating your life where is the Lord asking you to trust him how are you feeling then inclined And ultimately, what's motivating that response? We're going to have a prayer team up here invite you to come. Maybe you need to confess some of these things. And ask them to pray with you for the confidence of the Lord to have faith in what He's doing in your life. So we invite you to do that. And then as we sing, just invite you to offer your heart to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you Thank you, God, for your love, your mercy, your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you are mightier than we are. God, thank you that you show up in our weakness. We do thank you, as we have sung before, earlier, that your grace is enough. And God, where we doubt you, where we try to step in and, and control, I pray, God, that you would, you would help us. Help us to see how awesome you are. Help us to remember what you've done. And help us to have faith in what you're doing. Praise your name. Amen.